I saw an interesting video uh, this week that showed, it showed a forest scene and it showed the ground uh, around the trees, the p- kind of some pines and some other kinds of trees or whatever, that the, the wind was obviously blowing and the ground, maybe some of you saw it was on Facebook, the ground was actually moving. It was like it was breathing. It was pulsating. I, I was fascinated by it and I thought, how how could, it was like an earthquake, but it wasn't an earthquake. It was just like breathing in and out and moving, and the trees were kind of moving or whatever. And the reason the earth was moving is because, as I said, there was a storm that was, that was creating winds that was blowing these huge trees back and forth, but none of them was tumbling over, none of them was knocked down. Uh, they were all kind of moving, and the earth was moving. It was just a really interesting uh, little video to watch. You know, Jesus told his disciples that there would be many storms that would come into our lives. That this is a message to bring you hope and to give you encouragement. It is not to remind you of how many troubles you have. But the fact of the matter is Jesus told us that you got lots of troubles. And if you don't have one this morning, you're going to get one before long. Because there's an enemy of our faith and he does not want us to uh, to do well and he wants us to be discouraged. And so the Apostle Paul has given us some wonderful truth. And Jesus said, there's going to be times in your lives, just like the wind blowing those trees, when it's going to produce anguish. Uh, these, these storms are going to produce afflictions. Sometimes these storms are going to produce, in fact, persecutions. But he said to take courage. That's the Greek. I looked, at, I looked up the Greek to be sure. Some of, some of the translations say, be of good cheer. Uh, having courage will give you good cheer. But the fact of the matter is, it really is about taking courage. He's saying, when these things come upon us, Jesus said, take courage. He says, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So here's the question. How does Jesus overcoming the world help me? How does Jesus overcoming the world help you when the storms of life begin to set in and begin to blow against us? And so I found the answer to that. And I want to share it with you this morning because it really blessed my heart. And it's contained in the next verse of Philippians, which we're studying. We're in chapter 4. And the next verse, I, it was, this is such a beautiful, powerful verse, and you'll know it well when we read it. You've, you've, you've read it and memorized it probably uh, over the years. Uh, it, I, I just couldn't add it to any other things. It's a standalone, and we, I felt like we just have to spend some time on, the, on this. You're going to be blessed by it. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi in, in Macedonia, the region of Macedonia, says this, just one verse this morning, chapter 4 and verse 4. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And that's it. That's what we want to study and ponder and unpack a little bit this morning, if we can. So notice that he repeats it. Notice that's the first thing we should see. This is a repeated theme here. Since he repeats the idea of rejoicing, then I have to conclude, I have to assume, you think about it yourself, see if you agree, that repeating the imperative, that means do this, rejoice always, again, I say rejoice. Since he repeats it, I have to assume that he's presupposing it's not always easy to rejoice. Is that why he said it twice? Is that why he repeated it? That it, this is not an, always an easy assignment for us 
as believers, as Christians, uh, to, to accommodate. The word rejoice in the Greek actually comes from the word chiro, which means be glad. So we could say, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Now, what would you bring in here to this place this morning? What would you bring in here? Something, maybe several some things, I don't know, that are tough. They're, they're tough, and you've been wrestling with some of them. And some of them, they just don't seem like they're giving an inch. And, and, and Paul says, but be glad. Always. And again, I say, be glad. I read an article in Psychology Today where the author was talking about ways to create greater meaning and joy in life. And so the actual title was pretty much those words. And it said, five actions to create greater meaning and joy. Five actions to create greater meaning and joy. Well, guess what? I'm not going to give you those five because that's out of psychology today, and I don't really care what psychology today is going to talk. I care what the Bible says about this. But I, I, I bring this up to, to, to remind us that the world is constantly wrestling with this joy thing, this rejoicing thing. It's constantly writing books about it and doing videos about it and doing seminars about it. And so here's five actions to create greater meaning and joy in your life. And in that article, they quote, it's interesting, in that article, they quote the leader of Buddhism, which, as you know, is a world religion of about 1.6 billion Did you catch that word? It starts with a B, not million, but billion souls. 1.6 billion souls adhere to, in one way or another, this world religion of Buddhism. And so here's a quote in that article from the leader of Buddhism. The Dalai Lama, head monk of Tibetan Buddhism, writes, Happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions. And scientific research validates that while good genes are welcome, behaviors and relational choices are better. Unquote. So let me translate that whole paragraph into one little phrase. Translation. Happiness comes from within ourselves. By controlling our behavior... And by uh, being careful in our relational social choices in life. In other words, good DNA may help some, but happiness is better found through certain efforts to control our behaviors and to guide the choices we make with other people. That's how we find happiness and joy and meaning in life. Now, if Paul were here, and I didn't ask his permission or anything, but if he were here, I think he might res- respond to that paragraph by the Dalai Lama with something maybe like this. Good DNA may help some. Although I don't exactly know what DNA is, because back in the first century, I don't know what that is. But, okay, I'll give him that. DNA may help some. And it always pays to choose what behaviors a person exhibits. And it makes a difference what friends we have and how we talk with other people. But the way to be glad all the time 
has more to do with a relationship we can have with one person than anything else. It's not about what comes from within. It is about having a relationship with one person. And that one person, if you don't know the answer, is Jesus Christ. No matter what kinds of winds of adversity are blowing against you, us, this morning, Paul says there is something about a relationship with Jesus Christ, this one person, that can keep us rejoicing always and again being glad. It's, a, it's built into a relationship with Jesus Christ, not as the Dalai Lama says, coming from within, controlling our behaviors and, and uh, being careful with our social relationships. Oh, those things can help. I'm not saying those things aren't to be considered. But that's not where true joy, lasting joy, always being glad, and again, always being glad, that's not where that originates. I'm going to explain that a little bit further in a minute, but first let's go to school on storms in our lives for just a moment. You know, like the storm blowing on some of the people in Pittsburgh this morning who thought they were going to the local synagogue to worship, and all of a sudden 11 of them found themselves shot, dead, there are storms that are going to, to bl- causes us to be appreciate our security team around here this morning. Amen? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're walking around. They're, do- they're walking and taking strolls. You see people get up sometimes. They're, they're not getting up walking around because they're disinterested in the message. They're walking around. Well, they might be disinterested, but I don't think so. At least I'm not going to believe that way. Otherwise, I won't be glad. But anyway, uh, they're walking around making sure the doors are locked and making sure that it's almost impossible for you to get where you want to be without any trouble. But it's for your safety. It's for your own good. For some of you who come onto the campus and you want to get in this place during the day, during the work hours of the day, and you, you, you can't get in anymore. You used to be able to get in. Can't get in anymore. we got a school here. The doors are locked. There's only certain ways that you can get in this place. And so, you know, life changes because storms are blowing in our lives. And there are some serious storms blowing in the east this morning in Pittsburgh, I'm sad to say. I think the reason Paul tells the Philippian Christians not once, but twice, to rejoice is because there are certain processes at work in the world when we have Jesus beside us. That if seen in the proper light, it will help us become stronger and more excellent in how we live our lives. There are certain processes that go on in our lives every day, every night, that are designed to help us in our excellency in service to Christ. You know, I'm not giving you news that you're not aware of. We live in a world of constant problems. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, they're just constant. It's like it doesn't matter. You you get one thing fixed and then another one goes wrong. And this thing aches and you get that taken care of and then this side aches. And, and, you know, I had a bill to fix this at the house and then that broke. And, And just one thing after another. If it's not the furnace going out with the cold coming in, it's the flu shot. We're told, well, you better get it. If it's not the stock market going up and down and affecting our finances, it's the neighbor's barking dog or the guy that just cut us off on the bypass on the way to church. If it's not one of our family members going through a hostile divorce, it's one of the grandkids who can't find a decent job. Conflicts at work, conflicts at home, 
Sometimes, God forbid, conflicts in the church. It never stops, does it? It just doesn't stop. So here's a problem about life just in general. Life takes time to produce excellence. Life takes time to produce excellence. So, uh, I didn't practice this, I probably shouldn't even do this, but I, I, just, to, just to illustrate the point, you know we got a wonderful praise band, don't we? Amen? You know how that gets that way? Because they practice. And so, you know, you sit down and you, those of you who've taken uh, music lessons or whatever, there's a scale. And then in about three months or, <laughs> yeah, you're clapping because you know that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> so... So in about three months, though, the, the, the teacher goes, uh, you know, you need to play something besides just a scale. You need to do some uh, limbering up and getting the dexterity. Well, you know where I'm going with that. Okay, so guess what? Mine didn't go any farther than that. That's about as far as mine went, sadly. So that part of the illustration is a dud. But the fact of the matter is, I did remember that. Hanon. It's a little... She knows what I'm talking about. Our pianists, they know. Our musicians know. Life takes time to produce excellence. And if you want a band to come out here and to play well, and in harmony, in tune, and uh, everybody's on the same page, and they're doing the same note at the same time, and the key changes happen at the same time, and everything kind of comes together, it takes time to produce excellence. But there's a Satan in the world who does not want us to be excellent in life, does not want us to be excellent for Jesus. He wants us... In the process of the, slow, of, the, of the storms of life, he wants us, you see that last line? He wants us to quit before we see the fruit. He'll do anything in the world to get us to quit on something good before we see the fruit. I heard a sermon by um, a fellow, a charismatic preacher. Most of you have heard of him. Some of you maybe have seen his books in the bookstores or whatever. It's very popular. T.D. Jakes. Anybody heard of T.D. Jakes? Okay. So, so some of you have heard about it. And so I heard him talking about this. He said, you know, when, when I was starting in the ministry, I, I came from West Virginia and located to do ministry in Dallas, Texas. I was an implant. I'm not a natural Texan, and people know it in Texas. They know that. And he said, I started, I started a church in Dallas, Texas with about 20 people. And he said in this message, now remember, I said, it t- Satan wants us to quit before we see the fruit. He said, it took 10 years. Did I say 10? 10 years before that church even began to grow. Can you imagine for 10 years, 20, 30, 40 people, whatever, and that was it? He said, the devil was whispering things in my ears. He said, I don't even want to say what he was telling me. 
Things like, I'm not a good preacher. People don't want to listen to what I have to say. They don't like how I look. They don't like my wife. They don't like this. They don't like that. And he said, you, you might as well, you're not from Texas. You might, you should get out of town, go start somewhere else. He said, I was being told all kinds of crazy things as a storm that was coming against ministry excellence for Jesus. But if you know anything about T.D. Jake's ministry now, it's Potter's House in Dallas, and I don't know, they've got several campuses, there are probably 18,000, 20,000 people today. But for the first 10 years, zip. It was tough. And he said, when those storms were blowing hard, uh, he said, I, I was hearing these lives. You know, uh, an oak tree seed, the seed doesn't look much like an oak tree at first. Amen? It takes time. A new business that uh, you may have tried to start in your life as a result of looking at some of these exciting businesses that have developed, especially in America, and have just gone bonkers, just gone big guns, and, and you felt you had a product that you could, you could sell and that you wanted to run a business, and, and uh, your dream was to, to, to be like some of these great businesses, but you ended up having to start yours in a back alley somewhere. And the devil came against you and you said, you'll never make it. You can't do it. You're not good enough. The product's not right. All kinds of things. The initial excitement when you're married and, and you find that, that you're expecting a child and, and you have one or two children and you're excited about raising the kids and you decide, hey, I think God told, put it in my heart uh, to write a book about how to raise kids in a great home. And the fact of the matter is that you haven't even raised a teenager yet. Who are you to tell the rest of the world how to raise a family when you haven't even had a teenager in your home yet? It takes time. The excitement of a beautiful wedding and a honeymoon that follows does not guarantee a great marriage. A great marriage, not just an okay or one where people don't fight or whatever, but a great, a mature marriage takes time. Sometimes in the course of living our lives, God has to whittle, you know, I think I've got my little Swiss Army knife. I usually have it with me. How many of you whittle? Anybody whittle? Don't whittle much with this little thing, but it's sharp, I will tell you that. Sometimes in the course of living our lives, God finds that he needs to whittle on us a little bit because there are some things about our lives Now, I'm going to come back to hope in just a moment, but there are some things in our lives that need whittling. They they need to go away or they need to be rounded off. They need to be smoothed or they need to be be reshaped. Why? Because some of those sharp edges that we have, some of those irregularities that we have, some of those things that sometimes we're not even aware of, somebody else might see it and tell us about it, but we we don't even see it in ourselves. Some of those things are distractions and are not relevant. Say relevant. They are not relevant to God's purpose for our lives. They're not relevant. The stuff that's wrong with me is not relevant to my being able to share with you and be a a, a reasonable leader in this church. The stuff that's wrong with me is not relevant. It needs to be go away. It needs to be whittled off. It needs to be reshaped. And, and so God is great about allowing processes, storms. We call them, the, the processes are storms. 
They're, 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 they're trouble sometimes. Now, it doesn't mean that God is the author of every hard thing that comes our way, but I believe he allows us to experience certain winds of adversity to shape us for excellence. And that's a process that we need to understand. And it's a process that we need to be willing to suffer through. Don't give up too soon. We need to be willing to suffer through it so that the divine, that's God's enablement. Divine, God's enablement that he wants to bring our way can help us through those hard places. So he's saying, don't give up. Yeah, I let this touch you. You don't have to understand why. I understand why. I'm not saying I brought it on you. I allowed it on you. But it's to whittle on you a little bit. Why? So that you you don't have irrelevancy to the things that I, I want and desire for your service until I call you home. But if you give up too quickly, you don't give me opportunity to enable you, to help you. And so don't give up this morning. The process is what burns out all the distracting flaws in our nature that keeps us from becoming our best for his purposes. When you sit down and you play those scales and you do those little finger exercises and all of a sudden your fingers, you you train your fingers and you get a certain dexterity within reason. Everybody's a little different. Some people, it's outstanding. And for some people, everybody can improve, but not everybody's going to be a concert pianist. But everybody can improve, but just don't quit. Don't quit, he says. The process of storms that come into our lives is what toughens us to hold steady when the enemy comes after us and challenges our resolve to serve Christ. The process is what strengthens the oak tree. How does it do that? It is blown back and forth as it grows. And it, and it strengthens until the point where it, it's really strong and firm and it can withstand some pretty strong wind. The process of storms that come into our lives is designed by God to purge out the unbelief that exists in hard places. So, well, you know, God's helped me in a number of things, but I got this one thing. I get this one situation. I I don't even want to tell anybody about it. It's so embarrassing and it's so hard and I've worked on it for so long. There's nothing happening on this one. I just, I'm telling you, I've researched it. I've been on the internet. I've read the Bible. I've read every book I can get on on the subject. And there is just nothing that's going to come good that's going to come from this adversity. But God is trying to get that unbelief out of us. The process is what toughens the hide And it strengthens the resolve to hang in there when it's tough. So someone says this morning, "Uh, okay, I get it. We're going to go through some pain in the winds of adversity till we get to the end of life. But how does that help me find joy this morning? The answer, Hebrews 13.5. I want to read it for you. Make sure, the writer says, that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself, Jesus, he, Jesus, Jesus himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, that's, a, that's an incredible statement that Jesus made. The word forsake there is what we m- might mean by the word Abandonment. Jesus said, I I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. 
Now, knowing that we're not abandoned should give us reason to hope. And hope allows us to have joy. Can you, can, can you get that? Let me say that again. Knowing that we're not abandoned gives us reason to have hope. And hope allows us to rejoice. Why? Why? Why do I say that that allows that? Because Jesus is with us in the process of going through each trial in life, which ends up growing our faith and helping me play the piano better. Jesus is helping me play the piano better when I allow him to help me with the exercise of my faith in a hard place, which helps whittle off irrelevant things in my life that are distracting me and and marginalizing my serve to God. And that gives me hope, and hope allows me to find joy. Now let's remember this about finding joy that leads us to rejoicing. Let me say this. Joy or the ability to rejoice cannot be found, as the Dalai Lama says, in DNA. Or controlled behavior, or relational manipulations, because, because true joy cannot be sustained through circumstances. True joy cannot be long-term sustained through circumstances. And true and lasting joy cannot be sustained as a result of people in our lives. Why do I say that? I'm saying that circumstances is not the, the, uh, the root of true joy. And people are not the root of true joy in our lives. Why? Because both of those are subject to change and the result usually brings us the lack of joy. The only true and lasting joy which is intended to be habitual, in the Greek that's pantote, every, that, it literally says every win, every win, not W-I-N, W-H-E-N. In other words, literally at all times. That's what that word means. The only true and lasting joy which is intended to be habitual, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The only true and lasting joy, rejoicing, which is intended to be habitual, literally at all times, is found not in circumstances in life, although that helps. Everybody wants some better circumstances. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. And everybody wants good people in their lives to be an encouragement to us. That helps. Amen? That helps. Don't throw those away. But that's not where you find true and lasting joy, Paul says, that is supposed to be always happening. And again, always be glad, being glad. Where's that found? It's found in, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In cancer, in the loss of a loved one, in a financial dire time, in, in a relationship that is gone south and it's, and it's ugly and you can't see any way around it, Jesus says, I will, if, you're, if, if he is in your life and you're truly born again and have received Christ into your life and my life, he said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now think about this for a moment. There's a difference in leaving and abandoning. You say, what do you mean? 
The word forsaken is different from the word desert. Not the desert we eat, but the desert that leaves us. To desert often means to physically leave. To forsake means to emotionally abandon. Physically leaving, emotionally abandoning. That's forsake. You see, a person can physically remain, but emotionally abandon. Do you ever know someone through your work that was still on the job, but they had emotionally checked out? Know anybody like that? Do you ever work beside somebody like that? It's not pretty. It's not fun. And if you have to supervise somebody like that, <laughs> that's rough. That's rough. They didn't want to be there. They didn't work with any excellence. Had a bad attitude every day they came, but they kept showing up for work. God have mercy. <laughs> Sadly, it can work that way in a marriage where people are physically still there in the house, but they have emotionally checked out. Sometimes even sometimes even emotionally dialing into a person that they should not be emotionally involved in because of the storms and the trials that happen. Sadly, many fathers are still in the home, but when it comes to raising the kids, they're emotionally checked out and they have no relationship with the family. I talked to a gentleman last night out in the parking lot with all these kids and families coming in, and he said, my, you know, my, my, my grandkids, they're in trouble. One of the parents is gone, dead, and the other one doesn't care. And, and, the, and the grandparent doesn't, doesn't make a mind, and they're just, they're, they're, they're crazy. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to be as involved as I know how to do it. But there's just no emotional involvement in the lives of these children. And, and it shows at school, and it shows when they come to church, and it shows in their relationships. But Paul says, we can rejoice because Jesus said, He will never, one, physically leave us. He's in our hearts. He's in our lives. But more importantly, he said, He will never emotionally abandon, forsake, check out, even in the hardest places that we find ourselves in from time to time. Can we get an amen on that? He said, I'm not going to desert you physically. I'm not going to move out of the house. I'm not going to move out of the relationship. And I am not going to have you so dialed out of my life that you can't tell if I care about you anymore. Wow, what a promise. See, circumstances in life can help, but a lot of times circumstances are crummy. And when they're crummy, when they're, when they're, when they're not happy, it's hard to rejoice and be glad. And, and you might have a good circumstance today, but it can swing tomorrow. It did for the people in Pittsburgh, 11 of them. And, and you, you, can, you can be there and still hang in there, but when you're with someone who doesn't care anymore, oh my goodness, that's some of the hardest place to be when you have been abandoned and forsaken by someone that you care about. That's why the, the root of true joy and rejoicing is not in circumstances and it is not in people. A church can't get better if you leave it. Unless you're a big problem. <laughs> That's different. You'll have to decide whether you're a problem. If you're the problem, then you, you know you're, there's another church that's going to have a trouble too. So but a church can't get better if you leave it. 
A friendship can't get better if you quit on it, if you leave it. A family can't get better if you leave it. A marriage can't get better if you leave it. And nothing will ever get better if we emotionally detach in our attitude. So while that oak tree seed is trying to mature into a tree of excellence, a tree of great strength to be able to handle the hard places, it's going to be blown around a good bit through the trials and the tribulations of life. And Jesus is saying that's going to happen to Christians too. It's going to happen to us. Especially because we love Jesus. And what Satan does is to initiate some of these tests until we feel like leaving or until we feel like checking out and leaving God because life got too tough. The devil uses pain when we're in the process to discourage us. One pastor I I know of calls these voices that sometimes speak into our hearts and our minds when we're going through a trial and the winds are blowing pretty hard, and you get these voices. They're painful voices. He he describes them. He He said, these voices that come from hard places in life, he calls them the hurt pocket. I got a hurt pocket. And every once in a while when I reach into this pocket, there's an ugly hurt in there. And sometimes we have not completely healed from those things. Sometimes we're not even completely aware that that was even going on in our lives. Some of us grew up as young people and we missed out on some good teaching on a few things. Some of us didn't have the best model in terms of an early start in life. And we got stuff in that pocket. And every once in a while, we reach in there and say, what, what is that? Now, this one's a nice, sweet breath mint, and that's not bad. But I, got, I might have an old, dried-up piece of gum and a Kleenex in here. It's not in this one, but this one's been used. I don't know. It's not pretty. It's ugly. It's a hurt pocket. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of us have a hurt pocket where there's stuff in there that it still, after all these years, it hurts. It just hurts when you think about it. The most, I want you to remember this about the devil. The most hurtful things in our minds that come out of the hurt pocket, the most hurtful things in our minds are introduced to our minds not by a loving father, but by a hateful devil. That's where those hateful, hurtful voices are coming from. And the reason I say that is because when you read the Bible, you find out that God is a good God. God's a good God. Our Father is a good Father. He, he's, not, he didn't, he's not one that's going to forsake us and abandon us. He's a good God and a God who started this whole experience of life in a great place. A great place, the Garden of Eden. And... And somebody spoke ugly voices to some people. Genesis 3. Let me, let me walk us through this. Just unpack this just a tad for your encouragement. Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called to the man. Remember, they fell. They, they, they took the forbidden fruit. They messed up. And the Lord called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, Father, God. 
And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Now let me just say, God already knows the answers to the questions he asks. So the question, he's asking a question, he already knows the answer to, but he wants Adam to think about it. He wants us to think about this question, answering this question. He said, who told you you were naked? Because I made you beautiful. I made you a specimen. I'm telling you, I made you, Adam, beautiful. And if you think you're good looking, wait till you see Eve. She is awesome. And you are going to say, I feel like I already went to heaven when I laid eyes on this beautiful person. And they were naked and didn't even know it. Totally unashamed. Who told you you were naked and told you something ugly about something that I made that was beautiful and good? Who did that? Of course, he knew. You see, every one of us has been lied to about ourselves at some point over some issue, and it generally results in confusion and pain in our lives. You know, you can be 80, 90 years old and still be victimized by unresolved pain in your life from the hurt whisperer. So over the course of our lives as believers in Christ, here's what God's doing. He's whittling. He's whittling on us through many different life experiences. Some of them are as tough as they come. Some of them are just as tough as they come. It doesn't get any tougher than to say goodbye to a life partner. I don't know. It doesn't get any tougher. It's just those kinds of things. And he allows these experiences in our lives in order to remove those things in our lives that are not relevant to his plans for our life. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher of past, he's gone to heaven now. This is what he said, and I quote, Disasters and reverses may lay him low. He may, like Job, be stripped of everything, like Joseph be put in prison, like Jonah be cast into the deep. He shall not be utterly cast down. He will be brought on his knees, but not on his face. Or if laid prone for a moment, he shall be up again ere long. No saint will fall finally or fatally. Sorrow may bring us to the earth. And death may bring us to the grave. But lower we cannot sink. And out of the lowest of all, we shall arise to the highest of all. Unquote. So how can I rejoice always? By knowing. How can you rejoice always? And again, he says rejoice. How can I rejoice always? By knowing I'm not alone and Jesus is with me. Amen? I am not alone. If you have Christ, you are not alone in the darkest, most hurtful, uh, most difficult storms of life. Daniel chapter 3, when the three Hebrew boys refused to bow down to a false god. Remember, they wouldn't do it, wouldn't bow down. And the king said, throw them in the fiery furnace. Let me read just a portion of it for you. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire... It was so hot, it slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
In other words, the guys that threw him in the furnace, they died. The furnace was that hot. And threw these Hebrew boys into the fire because they would not bow down and worship a false god. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, and he stood up in haste, and he said to his officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king, three men. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of the gods, Jesus. For he himself has said, literal translation of this, I am with you always, and I will not forsake you. In the Greek, if we were to just say this literally, it would go something like this. For he himself has said, and the statement is on record, I will not, I will not, twice, two two double negatives. I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. And three double negatives here. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. Wow. I'm going to give you a series of verses here quickly as I close. Hebrews 13.5. And I'm not putting them on the screen. Just listen if you would. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. For we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So while I have no fear, what can mere people do to me? Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong. And courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake, abandon you. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absorb all that I commanded you. And lo, and lo what? And lo, and listen, and listen. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have someone who will never desert you, never abandon you, never emotionally put you on shuck. It'll never happen if you have Jesus. Circumstances can change. People can come and go. But Jesus is a surety until he calls us home. Isn't that great? What a tremendous promise. Isaiah 43, do not call to mind the former things. All that stuff that you were raised and you got all this garbage in that pocket, in that hurt pocket, don't, don't, don't think about the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. You come to Jesus Christ, you want to know, why is it worth it to give Christ your life? Because he said, I'm going to do something new in you. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert where you couldn't find any water before. Psalm 37. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he's gracious and lends. And his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. And listen to this. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. One more, Psalm 30. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. 
His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Peter preached a sermon. That re- it, it, it explains the reason for a Christian's rejoicing. And that is that once Jesus is received into our lives, he will never physically leave and he will never emotionally abandon us. I'm not going to take time to read this, but you can read it in Acts 2, and we studied it in the series. But really, the, the, the psalmist is quoted here, and it's David. And, and David is talking about Jesus coming. And Jesus says, uh, in this, in the, he says there's going to be one who's coming, who is going to minister to us, and, and he is going to be... Uh, many people thought it was David talking about himself, but he wasn't. He was talking about the Messiah who was going to be coming. And it culminates in John chapter 16. And let me just read this. Jesus answered, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. In other words, the, the Romans and all the pressure uh, the, the, of, uh, against the Christians in the early days of the church, he said, you're going to be scattered and each of you are going to go to your own home. And listen to what he says. And you'll leave me alone. You will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. My dad is with me. I'm not alone. My dad is with me. So he says, these things I've spoken to you, church, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. You see, the title of the message is this. It's all about his presence. If we have his presence in our lives, if we have his presence in our lives, then we have something that will sustain us and help us in the hardest places. And that's why we can rejoice always. And again, he says to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. we'll, We'll never be alone if we have Jesus. And when we go through, and church, when you go through the refiner's fire, he will never abandon us. For he himself has said, and I repeat this, and the statement is on record, I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. So, two things this morning in closing. Storms are processes to train us, to educate us, to correct us, and to strengthen us. Storms are going to come. Jesus said they're going to come, but I've overcome the world. Uh, This is to whittle off the stuff. Just don't quit. Don't quit before the fruit. Don't forget. Don't, Don't quit before the divine enablement steps in. And then secondly, rejoice that we are never alone in those storms. Aren't you glad this morning? Never alone. Listen, if you've been struggling with a drug addiction, if you've been struggling with something in the mind that you can't put, put away, if you've got some, uh, you know, talk about a horse whisperer, the, the, the hurt whisperer, you know that one song that we were singing, it, says, it, said, it said that he whispers, he, he whispers words of love. That's what Jesus does. Not hurt whispering, but love whispering. And so if you found your life uh, just being up and down and uh, erratic and not finding any joy and any purpose in living and whatever, listen, 
It's all for you. God, God is such a beautiful father. He loves you so very much that he wants to be with you. He wants to be in you. He wants to own you by, by the purchase that he has made through the blood of Christ. And you don't get that without signing on to Jesus. And how do you sign on to Jesus? You just tell him you love him, you want him, you need him. And you get into a church and you start opening the word of God and let people teach and instruct you so that you can understand how to please him. And he says, all along life's way till I call you home. I'll never forsake you. I won't abandon you. I'll never leave. I'll never walk away. And because of that, you can have joy and people will be turned on by that. People will be excited to say, come on this campus last night. You should have seen the people. And they're looking around and they're saying, why would a church do something like this? Because we love you. Why do we love you? Because Jesus loves you. Why does Jesus love you? Because Jesus created you. And what he creates, he loves. And so that's why we are benevolent. And that's why we try to be generous. That's why we do brown bags. That's why we got uh, the Christmas boxes. That's why we're doing these things. And we want to do more. And we do more when we have more. And so just continue to reach out with the joy and rejoicing in the Lord and be magnetic. And if you'd like to know how to meet Jesus, just come speak to one of us. We would love to pray with you and share with you how you can do that. Let's stand. I want to pray a blessing over you as you prepare to go out into a little bit of raindrops. I want you to be encouraged in the Lord and I want you to feel loved in the Lord. Father in heaven, I pray that as the storms of life come our way, and we know they will, they already have, And some are coming that we don't even know about. But it'll be okay if we have you. It will, we know by faith that it will be okay if we have you. And so I pray that uh, we will understand that people in our lives cannot bring us true joy. Circumstances cannot bring us true joy. But a relationship with Jesus Christ can bring us a lasting joy and a divine enablement to make it through those hard places and stand strong like that strong oak tree. It's taken a little while for me to get stronger, Lord. Perhaps it's been that way for some others. Forgive us for our shortcomings. Forgive us where we've been weak. Forgive us where we've not had a teachable spirit. Forgive us for these things. And come in and and just fill us afresh and anew today and make us the kind of joyful, rejoicing Christians and believers that you want us to be. May you bless this people today with this, these gifts. And I pray that you'll protect us from harm from the enemy. Send us out into the highways and byways into this community to make a difference. And bless this church real good, I pray, for the sake of Christ. And everybody said together, Amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you. Shake hands with a couple of people you don't know. Love them in the Lord.